Mark chapter 10 in your Bibles this morning. I mentioned in a prayer time a bit ago, um, Robert Regal uh, went to heaven. Uh, I understand yesterday early morning or, or sometime in, on Saturday, do not know of arrangements yet. Um, Dr. Robertson, I think, said of Brother Regal, is the best baritone, that, best baritone voice that he ever heard. Uh, certainly a tremendous voice for the Lord and just sang in a powerful, powerful way. I remember the last time, well, next, one of the last times, last time he was here, he came and sang, and I think it was a time with, uh, with Gage, and they sang here together. But I remember a time before that when he was strong and had that strong, powerful voice. I remember him standing up here and, and, and singing uh, Church is One Foundation. And uh, telling us that we need to apply that, put that into our hymnal. And I think some did that as we went forward. But as he was singing, I remember staying on the platform. And it just as though this whole platform just shook uh, with the power that was there. I know it was a bit of a tough task for Miss Nancy uh, to follow Brother Regal. He would sing a little bit and stop and, and preach a little bit. And then just pick it up from the preaching automatically into the singing. But certainly be sorely missed. So you pray for him. We'll let, know, let you know of arrangements. I'm sure maybe some of you already know that. And, and we'll let you know of those things as we press forward. I do also want to mention that our goal is to open up some more Sunday school classes. We're seeking to open up a junior boys class as well as a junior girls Sunday school class. We'd like to try to do that the week after Memorial Day weekend. Now... Having doing all of this, that means we're rearranging some things. It also means that we'll move our children's church again. Well, that had been due to COVID. We'd been moved that into the Sunday school hour, and now we will move that back to the main service hour. Now, there's a need with regards to that. I, we cannot do that until we get some help in that area. So what I'd like to ask is a couple of the families, uh, if you'd be willing on a rotating basis... Uh, and and planning on just being faithful to the house of God on a rotating basis to just come in there and help uh, Brother Caleb with an uh, extra set of hands and eyes and, uh, and helping with the young people there. It's a, just a needful thing. We've done that in the past with some of our young people, but uh, as you see, they're graduating, and praise the Lord for that. Uh, and so they move forward, but... In order for us to begin these two Sunday school classes and move children's church back to the main service hour, we need those couple families. Could be couples. I say two two uh, families could be couples, uh, and you maybe you have children that are up there, uh, and you'll say, "Look, we're going to work out a schedule, and we'll work with that with Brother Caleb and work out a schedule." My goal is to not have someone up there or out of the service every week, but enable you to get back into the service in the morning service hour as well. So please consider that. It's a great opportunity, a great opportunity for ministry. And it's a uh, need that we need to set in place. So please consider that. Please forgive me for taking the time to mention that, but I felt it was a need to do so. Uh, this morning we turn to Mark's gospel once again. We turn a chapter even to chapter number 10. And we come to Mark 10. We come to uh, a subject matter that has become a pandemic, if you will, uh, in our day. It was a pandemic in their day. 
Um, and as we look into this text, Brother Caleb read it just a few moments ago. I won't take time to read it again here, but we'll kindly work our way through it as we get into the message this morning. The subject matter being addressed is, uh, in these 12 verses that Caleb read this morning, is the, the scourge of divorce. The scourge of divorce. And that's what uh, Jesus is addressing here in these passages. Statistics tell us that almost 50% of all marriages in the U.S. will end in divorce or separation. That is an alarming, an alarming rate. Almost 50% will end in separation. Researchers estimate that 41% of all first marriages end in divorce. Can you think of that? Uh, Upwards to 41% of all first marriages. And it doesn't get any better. Somebody says, well, it's grass is greener on the other side. No, it's never greener. It, It looks like it is until you get on the other side. Uh, So if that is not bad enough, researchers say that 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. And then for those who would dare to go three times, researchers say 73% end in divorce. The U.S., the United States of America, statistically has the fourth highest divorce rate in all the world. The fourth highest divorce rate. In all of the world. The average time together. Before a divorce. Is just under eight years. Just under eight years together. Before a divorce would come about. There are many reasons given for. Uh, for divorce, some states, many states will require that you give a reason for divorce. Some calculate how many divorces are taken, have taken place in that state. Some don't even calculate it at all. But out of all those who do uh, require a reason for divorce, these are some that are given. Lack of commitment, 73%. Argue too much, 56%. Infidelity, 55%. We married too young, 46%. Unrealistic expectations, 45%. And domestic violence and abuse, 25%. 17 states in our United States are considered what they consider what they call no-fault divorce. You can just, for whatever reason, no fault. It's not anybody's fault. We just decided it didn't work out. No fault divorce. Uh, North Dakota, Wyoming, Mississippi, South Dakota, and Kentucky are the cheapest states in the union to obtain a divorce. Nobody moved to those states, okay. Uh, The average cost, in those cheapest things, and the average cost is $80 in those states to file for divorce. Just costs a mere $80 to file. After all said and done, the lawyer fees and all, the average is $8,000 is the average to sever a marriage in the United States, in these, particularly in these particular states. The point that I'm trying to make this morning is that divorce has become a normal and an acceptable way of life in America. A normal and acceptable way of life. And it's 
not confined to just marriages outside the church, but this scourge has made its way into the church and is affecting church families. And let me say, as we begin this together this morning, you'll not get a message on divorce out of the newspaper. You'll not get what the Bible says with regards to these things. Because it is a pandemic, because it is a scourge, it's something that the Bible has very much to say about, and I believe the church ought to say as much as the Bible says about it. And it's something that we need to understand. Research shows that church members are divorcing at all too common an alarming rate. But let me say, that ought not be the case. It ought not ever be the case. It ought not be the case for anybody who claims the name of a Christian, who claims the name of a church and part of a, a local body of believers. And let me say, you can be a church member uh, and, and, and that may not make a difference. But if you are a Christian, you are living for God, that will make a difference. To have the Bible in your life. You can be going to a place where the Bible is taught. and Let the Bible get into you. It will not make a difference. Divorce can still take place. And the Bible does tell us that there will be conflict in the marriage. Uh, any of us would be uh, wrong this morning to, to say, you know, there's never a conflict. Somebody says, well, I've had the perfect marriage. I'd love to meet you this morning. Uh, never, never had a crossword. Never said anything wrong. Never did anything. My feelings were never hurt. That's that's wonderful. I'd love to meet you this morning. Uh, the fact is that there's a curse that took place all the way back in the book of Genesis, and because of that curse, the woman was put in a position where her she was to be put under the submission of the husband, and and part of that curse was to be her desire to override that and to take control. Of the man in the home. On the other side of the curse is the man's overreaching to squelch that. In anger and in frustration and in all sorts of ways. And so because these things are part of the fall. There tends to be sometimes conflict that comes into the marriage. But what do we do with it? How do we deal with these kinds of things? So we're not saying that conflict will never happen, but we're saying what happens when conflict does come. And we could spend maybe uh, week after week dealing on this subject, and I'll not take the time to do that. You, there are many things and many sermons out there that have been preached, but I do feel like it's something that we need to address because we come to the passage this morning where Jesus is addressing it. The title of the message this morning is, don't ever use the D word. Just don't ever use the D word. The title of the message. Let me say this morning that there's no way, again as I mentioned, to exhaust all that the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. Not in one message. There's no way to, to exhaust it all. Not in a, a 30 minute. Or, or Some of you say 30 minutes preacher. Not in a, uh, a few minutes. Let me just uh, narrow it down that way and say some of you got nervous there. But I do hope by the time we are done this morning, we'll have a clearer understanding about how God thinks about the subject and what God says about the subject. And let me just say this, it doesn't matter what the law of the land says about it, what matters is what God says about it. 
It doesn't matter because the law of the land makes it no fault. It doesn't matter because the law of the land says it's acceptable. We need to see what God says, and God says it's never acceptable. It's not something that we ought to lightly take on. Now, someone hear me make that statement. You say, preacher, what about this? What about that? And we don't have time again to deal with all these things. But I know that this thing is something that's within probably every family in this church has been affected by this issue in one form or fashion. Uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're going there. Maybe, and let me also say that if you're a child of God and your family is seeking to serve God, the devil will put it there as a temptation to you. When the troubles come, the devil will make sure that, that you hear in your thinking, well, it's not worth it. Uh, this is too hard. It's an e- you know, it's easier. The grass is greener on the other side. The devil will whisper that to you and don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Hear what the Bible has to say. I want us to look at these 12 verses under three headings this morning. I want us to see, number one, the confrontation, number two, the coldness, and number three, the clarity. The confrontation, the coldness, and the clarity. First of all, note with me, the confrontation. We see this out of verses 1 and 2. He arose from hence, thence, and cometh to the coast of Judea, by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as was He was wont, he taught them again, and the Pharisees came to him, asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Notice tempting him. Here we see the confrontation. In Mark's gospel, in chapter number 10, Jesus has left the northern Galilean ministry that he had been concentrating in in uh, so much of his ministry. And now he's moving south to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the place where he would complete his mission here upon planet earth. The reason for his coming. He would soon be completed there as he makes his way into Jerusalem. And we'll see that as we move forward in the chapters. Jesus would finish his mission with the death, the burial, and the resurrection there in Jerusalem. In the first ten chapters of Mark, we see the ministry of Jesus lasting Three years as he went about preaching, healing, showing himself to be the Messiah that was to come and has come. He's the God of heaven, uh, showing himself to be deity, doing what no man has ever been able to do. And then we come to Mark chapter 11 through 16. When we get there, Mark's gospel focuses, it narrows its focus in on just a couple days of the last few days of Jesus' ministry as he spends it in Jerusalem and as he goes to the cross and as again I mentioned as well as the resurrection accounts and the appearances of Jesus Christ. So we have the the 10 chapters that gives the chronology and and if you put it together with the other gospels of the life of Jesus, the first, uh, the ministry life of Jesus, the three years there and then just the last few days. So it narrows its focus in. And as Jesus is making his way to the cross, he comes to chapter 10. And in verse 1 tells us that Jesus cometh to the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan. This area was known as Perea. This is a very significant place 
It's a very significant place, and we'll, just, we'll note that in just a few moments, but keep that in the back of your mind. And as Jesus comes to the area, the people, the Bible tells us, they resort or they come out to meet him and come out to where he is. And we've seen that everywhere Jesus went, crowds gathered. They come out to gather around him again. And as was his custom, every time there's an opportunity to preach, Jesus took the opportunity to preach. Remember, we said very early on in our study of Mark, one thing we can say about Jesus and not is often said that, yes, he is the Savior of the world, but Jesus is a preacher. I like preachers. And Jesus saw a crowd, and he took the opportunity to preach. The, the crowds come out to where he was. And the Bible tells us that as was his custom, what he normally did, he did here again. He taught them again. He taught them. And as Jesus was teaching the people, notice who shows up in the crowd. Verse number 2. And the Pharisees came to him. Who shows up in the crowd? It's the Pharisees once again. You can be sure that every time God's word is going out to people, the devil's crowd is going to show up to try to stop it. The devil's crowd is going to try to do everything the devil can do anything and try to do everything he can to distract, distract and discourage uh, every time the word of God is being preached. And here we find the Pharisees, they are again, time and time and time again, they are again dogging every step of Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus goes, they are dogging him. They are looking for opportunities to go against him. And we've seen it over and over again. The Pharisees show up with a question here. Uh, you would think this is a simple question, but really as we look at the text this morning, this is a very sinister question. It's a very clever question. It's a, it's a plan to get Jesus to fall. With this one question... It's a plan to get Jesus to fall. And if they can get Jesus to say something wrong, they can turn public opinion against him. And so from being a hero to a zero in the eyes of the people, with this one question, they sought they to do that very thing. Matthew 19, the parallel passage, verse number 3, it says, They came at him tempting him. They sought to discredit him. Uh, Mark chapter 2, we read the text, and you'll see verse number 2, excuse me, chapter 10 and verse number 2, the lat latter words there, they came tempting him. They asked what seems like a very simple question on the surface of Jesus, but in asking this question, they have determined that this one question will be the one that will get him to stumble. This one will really trip him up. Um, Everybody will see uh, Jesus' true colors here. All the people are gathered. The Pharisees, the religious leaders are gathered here. In verse number 2, they ask, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Seems like a pretty simple question on the surface. Matthew adds, For any cause. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put, his way, put away his wife? For every cause. For every cause. Understand that these, these Pharisees were not looking for information so that they could learn from Jesus. 
They weren't looking uh, so that Jesus could help them out of a pinch here and help them out of a tough spot. They were looking for something that they could learn and grasp and which they could impl- implement and obey into their lives. No, that wasn't the case at all. They were looking to destroy him. And this question sets the trap for them to do so. You see, the main view and the practice of that day among the Jews and even predominantly among the the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders was that divorce was perfectly acceptable. Divorce was perfectly acceptable. Divorce and remarriage was the norm and could take place for any reason whatsoever. It was just the normal thing and the normal way of life. Sounds a little bit like America 2021, does it not? In our land today. Uh, is it okay for us divorce? And, and, and for what reasons can divorce take place? Understand, this was part of their lifestyles. The rabbis accepted it as a normal practice in the culture, and they were involved in it themselves. History records that a very prominent rabbi by the name of Hillel, the teacher of that day, that many would have followed, particularly on this particular subject, taught that that divorce was permitted A man could divorce his wife for anything she did that displeased him. You could divorce your wife for anything she did that displeased him. Uh, He wrote, if she burns the dinner, you can divorce her. That's what he said. He wrote, allowing someone to see her ankles out in public. Someone else out in public. Ladies, you better... If you see her ankles, it's a reason for divorce. How about this one? Making a negative comment about her mother-in-law. Reason for divorce. Now, if that was acceptable today, and I don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many would be divorced. We won't touch that. Just making a comment, a negative comment about your mother-in-law. Or if simply he didn't like her looks. He didn't like the way she looked, or or maybe he found somebody that, in his eyes, were was more attractive, prettier than the first wife. That was reason enough. That's what he and this this rabbi taught, and that was the the common thought of the day, at least between uh, these, particularly between these uh, Jewish reader, uh, leaders. Matthew nineteen. Again, it mentions, can we divorce? Is it okay? For what reasons can we put away for any cause? Can we put her away for every cause, for any cause? Can we put her away, divorce her, and marry another? Again, it sounds like today. Easy, no fault, accessible, divorce. It's culturally accepted, even engaged in. The Jews had forgotten, the Jews of this day, had forgotten the Old Testament teaching about divorce and remarriage. They had forgotten, when it has come to this time, they have forgotten what God said in the Old Testament with regards to marriage. Hold your place here and go with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. What they had forgotten is what God had taught in the Old Testament. Here is Malachi, the, the last 
Old Testament prophet. And now he's teaching. And these are the last words of Jesus before, uh, excuse me, the last words of the prophets of God that is written down before we have Jesus coming upon the scene some 400 years later. But we see what Malachi says. This is what they had forgotten. Malachi chapter 2 verse 11. Judith hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And him that offereth an offering unto the house, excuse me, unto the Lord of hosts. So here even uh, the scholar, the, the teacher, the rabbi, the, the priest, God says he's, he will cut them off. And he says, verse 13, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. So here these people, these priests, they're going into the altar, they're offering their sacrifices, they're even doing it with tears, with weeping, they're crying out, even so much they regardeth not the offering. Even though they're doing these things, God says, I'm not regarding your offering. Yet you say, wherefore? Why, God? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet if she be thy, excuse me, yet is she thy companion, the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet he that reside in the Spirit, and wherefore one? God put two together, he made one. That he might seek a godly seed. So God put them together so that there'd be a godly seed, and so it would continue the, the Jewish nation, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith unto he that, saith that, excuse me, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, he hateth putting away. There it is. God says this idea of putting away is divorce. God hates putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Notice that phrase out of verse number 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, He hateth putting away. This is what the Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day, the people of that day, had failed to uphold, had failed to realize. The fact is, God hateth the putting away. The Jews had traded the Old Testament standard for modern day convenience and pragmatism. Notice how Jesus responds back in Mark 10, verse number 3. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? He says in, Mark's, in Matthew's account, he says, Have you not read? Have you not read? These were the keepers of the law. These were the people that if anybody knew the Old Testament, these people should have known it. 
Have you not read it? It's, it's like Jesus is giving a bit of rebuke there as he's teaching them. Uh, where you been? Uh, you're the teacher of the law. Have you not read? Understand, Jesus points them back to the Bible. You want to know the truth about life, about marriage, about holiness, about divorce, about things like this? Where do we go to find it? We got to go to the Bible. Jesus points them to the Bible. The world abandons the word, and Jesus points us to the word. And by the way, you better know what the Bible says before you engage in any of these things, whether it be marriage or anything else along these lines. It's good to know what the Bible says, amen? And Jesus is again pointing them back to the word of God. What did Moses command you? And they said, in verse number 4, and they said Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. They used an Old Testament passage as sort of a loophole that they used and said, you know what, we can divorce for anything that we choose to. Really doesn't matter. We can make it just, it's culturally acceptable. It's just okay. They cited a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter number 24. You'll need to look there with me, please. Deuteronomy chapter number 24, verses 1 through 4. They said in this passage, Moses said, all you got to do is just give her a, a writing, a bill of divorcement, and just put her away. And they used this passage when they asked, Jesus asked, what did Moses say? And go to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because, she hath, because he hath found some uncleanliness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. When she is departed out of his house, she may go and be married to a Another man's, uh, excuse me, and go, let me back up, forgive me. I got these glasses and they haven't helped a bit. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which hath sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. They use verse number 1 of chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 24 as a sort of a loophole and they said here it is it says if a man shall a man find she loses favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanliness in her then let him write her a, a, a bill of divorcement and put it in her hand and send her out of his house they thought that they had a loophole here that permitted divorce and remarriage and if Jesus spoke against Moses this was the perfect trap. If Jesus now was to speak against what Moses said, wait a minute, this proves he's not the Messiah. If Jesus can now, if they can get him and trap him to speak against what Moses is saying, then he's no longer the Messiah. He's gone against the Bible in their eyes. 
They said, look, Moses permitted divorce and remarriage. And he said, it's okay. What do you say, Jesus? What do you think about all that? And Jesus, in Moses, as he recites this, he says, what did Moses say to you? And what they were saying is that, see, Moses is giving a commandment to divorce for any reason. Is she simply fallen out of favor with her husband? And let me just say that Jesus' point here was that Moses was not condoning or commanding divorce and remarriage in this passage at all. He was not condoning or commanding divorce out of this passage whatsoever. Moses simply sought to squelch a practice that was rampant. In his day as well as in Jesus' day and may I say also in our day. Moses was not going against what God hates. Please understand that. Moses was not going against what God said he hates. I hate the putting away. Moses was not going against that. God had said it. Moses was not saying you can divorce as you please. But we do find a commandment, and notice the commandment is in verse number 4. Moses is not talking about it's okay to divorce, but what he's, the commandment is found in verse number 4. Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. This was the commandment. His commandment that Moses gave here forbids a man to remarry a woman that he had divorced. And this woman had been married to another. And now that man dies or divorces her. This thing is an abomination to the Lord. That's what Moses is dealing with here. Moses was seeking to curtail or, 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 or stop some of the scourge of divorce that was taking place. Moses had not changed what God had already intended for marriage. Moses did not institute divorce here. Moses sought to regulate, discourage divorce because it was so rampant. The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to contradict what Moses said. But in actuality, they were living in contradiction to what Moses said and what the Bible says. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 22, it talks about the one that would commit adultery is to be stoned. It won't take time to read that verse. But... So if they could get him to contradict Moses, but beyond that, remember I said this was the place called Perea. This is the place where Herod and Herodias lived. You remember Herod and Herodias? They were the ones that Herod took an incestual relationship with his niece, Herodias, had her husband killed and took his wife and and made him his wife. And John the Baptist comes up along the line and says, it's not lawful for you to do this. God's law forbids this. So if in, while in Perea, if we can get Jesus not only to speak against Moses, and now as he's speaking against Moses, he's condemning us all for practicing divorce. Now if we can 
if Herod and Herodias had John the Baptist's head lopped off for preaching against this kind of thing, maybe he can say something and we can get him to say something that will cause him to go against Herod and Herodias and maybe they'll do to Jesus what they did to John the Baptist. Do you see the sinister ploy that's being applied here against Jesus? They did this to tempt him. We see the confrontation. But notice with me, secondly, not only the confrontation, but we see the coldness. The coldness. Now, we've got to go back to what Moses said with regards to these things. We go back to Mark chapter 10, verse number 5. Let's read verse 4 for context. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart... He wrote you this precept. For the hardness of your heart. Moses did not change what God said. Moses sought to curtail a pagan practice. Why? Because of the hardness of their hearts. You see, Moses was really seeking to protect the woman. Protect the wife here. And to bring to reality the seriousness of divorce and how permanent it is and he says it's an abomination to the Lord they look did Jesus did Moses permit it no did God permit it no but they did he says it's because of the hardness of your heart that's the reason Moses gave this the hardness of your heart the word is Scleriocardia. And I'm sure I didn't pronounce that correctly. But it's the idea of the sclerosis, sclerosis of the heart. The heart, the, the, harden, the hardening of the heart. Scoliosis of the heart. The problem in divorce is a hard-hearted individual. The problem in a divorce is a hard-hearted individual. Unwillingness, a hardness of heart, unwillingness to obey God's word. An unwillingness to forgive when offended. The hardness of the heart. A demand to have it my way and not God's way. A hardness of the heart. Moses gave this because of the hardness of their hearts. A demand to have it my way. Ezekiel 3 and 7. They will not hearken unto me, for all the house of Israel are impotent. In other words, hard-headed. And he says hard-hearted. They're all hard-headed and all hard-hearted. A hard-hearted individual is far from God and will not hear the truth, but will twist the truth to make it fit their pleasure. And They said, can we divorce for any cause. And God comes back. And they use Moses as a, as a, uh, as a uh, proof text. To say yes see this is the case. To try to trip Jesus up. And Jesus comes back and he clarifies this truth with them. So we see the, the confrontation. Can we divorce for any reason? The coldness. The hardness of your heart. And then lastly we see the clarity. The clarity is seen out of verses 6 through 9. The clarity, verses 6 to 9. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they shall twain 
they excuse me, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. We see the clarity. Up to this point in time, in this confrontation, all the Pharisees wanted to talk about was divorce. That's all they had on their mind. All they wanted to deal with was divorce. Can we do it? How can we do it? When can we do it? For every reason can we do it? Their their real problem was that they didn't understand marriage. That's the issue. Their real problem was they did not understand marriage. Divorce is not an opportunity nor an option to get out. God designed a marriage to work. Amen? God designed a marriage to work. Jesus, again, turns to the Bible. In verse number 6, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Again, Jesus turns to the Bible. In this time, he goes past the rabbinic teaching. He goes past Moses. And he goes all the way to the beginning. And he clears away the wrong thinking. And he goes back to what Jesus initially initiated. Jesus goes back to the first marriage. Where God instituted it all. And he says literally, get your mind off the divorce and get your heart onto the marriage. Adam and Eve, from the beginning. And he goes back and he establishes it all from the beginning. And he says out of verse number 6, we see God established marriage. We see the plan. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. We see the plan. God defines marriage, not the culture. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the movements out there say. I don't care all the lives matter what they say. I only care about is what God says. Because let every man be a liar and what God says is the truth. What God says is that marriage is between one male and one female. He doesn't say male And male or female and female. We go all the way back to the beginning. God establishes it. Is this relevant for today or not? Is this relevant for today? Certainly it is. God defines the marriage. Not the culture. Not the newspapers. Not the educational system. God defines it. He says, God made them... Male and female. We see the plan. The plan is clear. Male and female. God made it permanent. Look at verses 7 and 8. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. We see that word cleave. The idea there is simply to be glued to. Glued. I would say gorilla glued, but that wouldn't fit. Uh, But you know what I'm talking about. You get the picture. Glued together. Not stuck with, but stuck to. Some people say, I'm stuck with her. I'm stuck with him. It's not stuck with, but it's stuck to. What God said, one male, one female, stuck together. 
That's the marriage vow. That's the issue. He says one flesh. Two become one flesh. Let me ask you, how far can you divide one any further and still remain true? Two become one. It's the lowest as you can go. Two become one. You can't divide that. God made it permanent. It's God's plan. And God says, don't play with it. Verse number 9. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God says, don't play with it. It's precious. It's an act of God, a divine act of God. And it's not to be messed with by men. That's what the Bible is teaching. That's what God is teaching here to these Pharisees. And in doing so, he is condemning them all that's called into this particular kind of practice. The clarity of God's plan for our marriage is clearly seen. You say, well, preacher, is this the unpardonable sin? No. And I I hope you don't understand. When I come to this passage and we look at these things, I am not, the goal here is not to condemn those who have gone through horrible, horrible times. As I said, you cannot condense all the teaching of the Bible into one message. We could spend days looking at this particular issue. Literally, we could spend much time, and my goal here is to make sure that it doesn't happen again. That it doesn't happen again. And I want to say God forgives, and God gives grace, and God enables us to go on with His grace. Praise God for grace. But don't let it happen again. If you're married, stay married. Stay married. If you're contemplating a divorce, quit it. The Bible commands it. Simply quit it. Don't break up your marriage and don't dare break up anybody else's. Don't dare do it. The clarity of God's plan for our marriage. It's His plan. It's permanent. It's precious. Don't play with it. Don't seek the divorce. Seek to secure the marriage. It's been this way from the beginning, God says. Let me read you one passage in closing. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We know the passage very well. Ephesians 5. So important to the Lord. Ephesians 5 verses 22 and following. Let's go back to verse 21 because I think it's part of the whole text. Submitting yourselves... One to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But nourished it and cherished it. Even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
Before this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. God says he hateth putting away. He hates divorce. Don't ever use the D word in your household. Clear Bible teaching. Clear Bible truth. It's something that the world needs to hear. It's something that all of us need to heed. Again, all of us have been touched with this scourge in some form or fashion. But let's press on for the glory of God. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.